Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Are you in a high control group? How would you even know? Lori Jane shares her story of waking up after attending Kingdom Halls for 30 years as a Jehovah's Witness. Although the Watchtower organization claimed they were the one true church, Lori discovered in Pioneer School the many quote-unquote corrections that had been handed down, which indicated they didn't actually have a monopoly on truth. In today's conversation, we talk about how to recognize if you are in a high-control group. Still, even if you aren't in a high-control group, you might have their exclusive mentality that looks at all outsiders as beyond salvation. Lori explains why humility is important as an antidote to the arrogance that can easily accompany doctrinal pride, leading to sweeping statements about who is saved or not in other Christian groups. I think you really enjoyed this interview. Here now is episode 437, High Control Groups and Judging Other Christians with Lori Jane. Welcome, Laureen. So glad to have you today on Restitutio. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. So I thought we could begin by just hearing a little bit about yourself and your own journey. You used to be a Jehovah's Witness. What was that all about? What was your experience like? Did you enjoy your time there? Because you were in for a long time. So tell us (laughs) a little bit about that. Yeah. Sure. I'll try and give what I call the elevator pitch one. I I do have full-blown videos of my experience on my um, YouTube channel that I can give you the link to if your viewers really want to hear the whole story. But the bottom line is I was not brought up in a religious household, but I did believe in God, just didn't have any structure around those beliefs. And I, I would say when I was around tw- in my 20s, I was in West Virginia where they talked more about God than they did where I grew up in upstate New York. And I started to have a curiosity. My stepbrother died in a fire and he was young. And I started to wonder, well, where is he now? You know, is he going to be 12 forever? My grandparents died when they were in their 80s. And that kind of was acceptable to me for some reason. But the 12 year old, I couldn't, you know, then I wanted to know, well, what happens to me when I die? Does it matter what I'm doing now for my future life? So I started to have questions and I started to interview people that seemed to have faith. Didn't do too much with it got divorced, moved back to upstate New York, eventually met my now husband who was studying with Jehovah's Witnesses. So he introduced me to a lot of it. And I did have a lot of questions and I would ask people and I never got satisfying answers. He was able to direct me to the answers. And we had these, you know, really long Bible conversations. Now he didn't say anything about Jehovah's Witnesses. He just shared stuff, but he had this little book The current one is called Reasoning from the Scriptures, but the original one, it was like a green book. I think it was called Make Sure of All Things, something like that. Well, he would say, what do you want to know about? And he would open that book up and he would give you all these scriptures. And he would say, well, let's look at this scripture. I didn't know he was looking at a book. I just thought, oh, I found a man that just knows (laughs) all the scriptures (laughs) off the top of his head. We would kind of look at the scriptures that way by subject, which, you know, I really appreciated. And, you know, I'd ask him questions. Well, all right, so where's my stepbrother? That was my first understanding of sleep of the dead, that he wasn't in heaven. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, now that makes sense. 
because I couldn't make sense of what I was hearing in what I call mainstream Christianity. And just in my own head, it didn't, didn't make sense. One day he slipped and he said, Jehovah. <laughs> so he was trying to keep it a secret that he was a Jehovah's yeah. Witness? Wow. Well, he wasn't yet. He was just studying too. Okay. But, um, you know, he would just say, God, God, God. And then he said, Jehovah. I said, what, what do you mean, Jehovah? He's, oh, well, you know, that's God's name. I said, God has a name. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. I'm like, how do I not know that? Shouldn't that be common knowledge? <laughs> you know? So um, at least where I had gone and the people I had talked to, God's name was never mentioned um, or even hinted at. I thought, okay, he took me to the scriptures and showed me where in all Bibles, you know, where it does say Jehovah at least once. And I'm like, huh, ain't that a kick in the head? So then um, the third thing, because there's three things that really convinced me, the Trinity. I never could understand the Trinity. I dated a Catholic boy and went to church with him and they do the whole genuflux thing. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm like, what is that? He goes, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. I'm like, there's ghosts in church? (laughs) (laughs) I was really, truly green. He tried to explain it. He goes, I don't know. Ask my mother. So then I asked her. I still didn't get it. They had a big Sunday dinner and the priest was there. I asked him. Still didn't get it. So when I started to look at the Bible with my husband and he showed me that the Trinity isn't a Bible teaching, I'm like, huh, well, that makes sense. The day that he slipped and he said Jehovah. And I said, wait, that's one of those weird religions. And I went to actually save him from the Jehovah's Witnesses. But back then, that's how old I am, Sean. There's there's no internet. I didn't even have a cell phone yet. I had to go to the library. And he would send me watchtowers, you know, their magazine that they hand out at the doors. And I went to find something wrong with one of their footnotes or cross-references. And I ended up with a Catholic Douay dictionary about okay. the Trinity. And it said not a Bible teaching. I'm like, wow. So the Catholics admitted it, huh? Well, at least in this particular dictionary, um, I've tried to find that again, and I haven't been able to find it. But, you know, they're saying that even though it's their doctrinal belief, it's not a direct teaching in the Bible, which, you know, we all know in the Unitarian world. So those three things really solidified to me when I went and confirmed them in other sources, none Jehovah's Witness resources, I believe that they really were like teaching the truth compared to these other churches that I had visited and these other people I had inquired of that really had a very fuzzy faith. That's what I would call it. Like they believed in God, but they didn't really know exactly, you know, what they believed about God. I just then kind of accepted everything without questioning it. And you said you were in for 30 years? Yeah, 30 years. And how would you characterize your time overall? Was it pretty good or you had a lot of issues along the way? I didn't have a lot of issues. I was what I would call an outlier. I never did anything wrong that got attention, but I I didn't do anything where I was held up as a wonderful example. I came in at a late age. I was 25 when I got baptized. I was college educated and in the JW world, they kind of discourage higher education because they feel that it leads to leaving God and, you know, um, your beliefs and getting involved in all sorts of things. I had a business and I spent my time working in my business. So most Jehovah's Witnesses weren't geared to being an entrepreneur. It's kind of frowned upon. Actually, you were kind of maybe thought of to be materialistic or, or whatever. 
but I went out in the ministry once a week, you know, like you're supposed to, I didn't like it. I I didn't like knocking on doors. Mm -hmm. I've been told I have an engineer's mind and I like things to be efficient. And I did not see that as being a good way to preach the word. But then, you know, I'm like, well, who am I? If this is the way God is saying to do it, I'm going to do it his way to show him that I love him. But I have a lot of difficulty with it, driving around in car groups, working on fighting, having people gossip and the kids who didn't want to be in the tie and, you know, (laughs) didn't want to be there and their attitudes, you know, like like a good Christian little kid, you know? So it was, it was not enjoyable all the time. Wait, so were, were you supposed to bring your kids with you? Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh Yeah. Huh. They they were great when you'd bring them to the door because people would actually listen because here's this cute little kid in a suit and he's got a scripture he wants to read to you. How are you going to say no to that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it was, you know, so it was good. It gave me structure to my life because of my beliefs. I quit smoking. I'm sure it saved my marriage many times over <laughs> because, you know, we would, you know, they say that threefold cord with, with you know, God in the middle. So it wasn't all bad. I truly can see the good in it, but I wasn't affected by some of their other beliefs like disfellowshipping, which I find that to be very family destroying. Yeah. Um, it didn't touch me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't recognize it as being a big problem, you know? So, so all in all, it was pretty good. <laughs> good, good. Uh, so let me ask you, just give me the short version. I know there's a, a full length video of the issues you saw and why you left, but just mm-hmm. the short version What made you question the Watchtower and uh, what was it like leaving? Well, interestingly enough, my my whole 30 years as a Jehovah's Witness, you know, you're always kind of encouraged, pushed, if you will, to do more, Um, go out in the ministry more, study more, participate more, raise your hand more. So when I moved to Florida and my work situation had changed to, you know, I grew my business to the point where I had a manager running things. I had time. So what's a good JW do when you have time, you pioneer, and that's being a full-time minister. So I did that my, my first year moving here in Florida, and I moved here four years ago. And the reward after doing that for a year is you get to go to pioneer school for a week, six days, and they treat you like royalty. Let me pause you right there. You said uh, to be a pioneer is to be in full-time ministry. What does that mean to be in full-time ministry? Does that mean knocking on doors every day, or are you doing something yeah. else too? knocking on doors. They had just started a new program with the carts, you know, the cart was witnessing. You've probably seen JW standing by those. They have these mobile carts and they have literature in it and they go in like public, more public areas like airports. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So I would do that cart, cart witnessing. It's called door to door ministry. I've done a little cart witnessing myself. Okay. Yeah. And door to door just for the record. Yeah. Well, that's one of my dreams. Like, like once uh, things where people aren't so nervous of people come in their door, I might just do some door to door. Door to door, I think has been increasingly ineffective over the last yeah. 15 years, just as like the society moved towards the position that religion is a private matter. And uh, so mm-hmm. to engage somebody in a conversation about their faith, at least up here in the frozen North, I know you, you know my context because uh, you went to a high school right next to my high school. Uh, Our rivals. uh, (laughs) Actually, I I did go to uh, uh, wrestling at your your school. I wrestled in high school. And if you got into the sectionals, then you got to train with the Niski Una kids. And and you guys were were crazy. You were serious, (laughs) serious wrestlers. Anyhow, um, 
what I what I what I think I, I found is that people consider it insulting just to ask what they believe if there's not enough relational credibility there right. to start with. Uh, yeah. But if you have a cart, or I I was always used to call it tabling. You know, you go to a yeah. college and you set up a table and people come up if they're interested. Now they're self-selecting. So you could talk about religious beliefs or, or your faith as much as you want. And there's a little space there because they're coming to you. So I would imagine that's got to get more effective as time goes on. Yeah, that's a marketing technique. Push versus pull. Pull, you want to pull people to your website. Push is you send them email. You know, so, you know, if they are coming to you, that's a much better, highly qualified lead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, tell us why you left. Okay. So I'm in this pioneer school feeling like, oh, well, I'm a pioneer and I'm going to do this until the end of the system. And the brother says, well, you know, as pioneers, you are looked up to and you therefore need to be up to date on all the latest changes. And I'm like, what's he mean? Latest changes. I, I know once in a while they would have new light and the most recent thing I could recall is they had changed their understanding of Gog of Magog. And I'm like, oh, that must be what they're talking about. And he said, so to be up to date, go to the website and type in beliefs clarified. So I had my iPad with internet and I went right to it. And I look and this list was, you know, how you scroll. I'm just flicking, flicking, flicking. I'm like, oh my word. And at the end it said, you know, by date order. So I went in reverse date order and I'm like, where was I for that? How did I miss this? And I just got this overwhelming feeling that if this is God's true organization on earth and they're spirit directed, how do they get so much wrong that we need so much clarification mm. or changes? And I, in that moment knew I needed to, I needed to dig. I needed to do research. I needed to use my new gift of time, not to go knocking on doors inefficiently and not talk to hardly anybody about the Bible, but I needed to understand it myself mm -hmm. in order to teach my children and to go out in the community. How dare I <laughs> go out and say, I'm going to teach you. So I came home and told my husband what pioneer school taught me is that I don't know diddly and I need to really study my Bible. And he says, okay, I'll support you probably regrets that now, but <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, right away, I just started to look at things that I had up on my shelf. I called it my doubt shelf. Mm -hmm. And one of the things when I first became a witness was they talked about the governing body, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just got a feeling of a, of a bunch of men who were anointed because they do have the belief that there's an anointed group and then the, the other sheep, right? And the anointed had a calling. You just knew if you were anointed, you knew there was no test that you had to do or anything like that. And they believe that there's only 144,000 anointed and that every year that number is decreasing because they're dying off. And so this governing body were all of the anointed. So you, in my mind, I pictured the anointed that are left on earth who are, have some sort of special connection or messages from God are getting together. And that's how they're coming up with these magazines and this information and the new light and all that kind of stuff. It kind of flipped. It kind of changed to where it was just the governing body now were what they called the, the faithful and discreet slave is what they use that parable to say, we are them, we are giving the spiritual food. And, you know, so we're basically, they're saying they are the conduit to get to God. So it goes them, Jesus, God, 
So they started to do a TV channel, you know, like on the Roku and stuff like mm-hmm. that, JW.org. Yeah, I've seen it. And when I started to see these governing body members, instead of them just being this entity that was out there, they didn't make a good impression. Let me put it that way. And I started to have doubts like, these are the people leading us? <laughs> and so long as the man's behind the curtain, you don't exactly. think to yourself, who is this guy and how does he, how does he know yeah. so much and why should we all listen to him? Yeah. And I had a good friend who had marriage problems. Let me put it that way for a long time. Didn't get any help. And I'm like, go to the elders, go to the elders, go to the elders, go to the elders. And, you know, she did and nothing happened. Let me go back to the other uh, question about why you left. After this period of intense Bible study, what did you come away with? That the leadership was just men. It was a group of men with their theories about the Bible. And they were really passing along what they had been taught as kids and what they had been taught as kids and adding to it along the way and that they were not spirit directed because if you're spirit directed, you shouldn't have that many corrections. And I also learned things that there was child sexual abuse that was um, not reported properly to the authorities. Now I believe that's in all organizations. You know, I don't, I don't think we haven't, you know, the Jehovah's witnesses have any more of a problem than any other religious group. But it was the way they handled it. You know, they should have reported it to the authorities. And because they didn't want to bring reproach on Jehovah's name, they tried to handle it internally, which normally ended up being, oh, the perpetrator is repentant or there wasn't two witnesses. Well, how is there two witnesses to a child being molested? Right. You know, Um, so it was just a lot of things that I saw as being misuse of the scriptures. And Jesus called out the Pharisees for adding burdensome rules to the people um, instead of the spirit of the law. And that's what I saw the leadership of the Jehovah's Witnesses doing with the brothers can't have beards, women have to wear skirts. If someone is disfellowshipped, you can't speak to them at all. Even parents with adult children, like families are broken up over it. Like you, it's just, I just, I saw a lot of that stuff and I felt like they weren't handling the situation with women and children very well at all. I started to see more and more of the misogynistic nature of it. Not not that my husband was really guilty of it, but there was some tendencies that we had to work through. Yeah. So I just started to peel the layer of onion. And once you give yourself permission to go out on the internet and do research, it's all right there front and center. Right. And it's so easy. Like within a day, I knew I had been lied to. And by that night, I recognized, oh, my word, I've been in a cult for 30 years. (laughs) You know, some people don't like me to use that word, but that's that's how I felt. Because if you can't question the beliefs in that organization without being labeled an apostate or told not to talk about that or ask about that, or you sound like an apostate, you realize you're in something that's not right. Mm -hmm. Certainly didn't feel God liked me. Were you scared when you left? I was scared for my kids. Mm-hmm. We had built a routine and a life around being Jehovah's Witnesses. It did give us structure, but structure around a lie isn't worth it to me. Mm-hmm. I had moments, some dark days in the beginning, which is which is why I started, you know, my ministry, I call it, reaching out to to XJWs or those who are starting to question or people coming out of any high control religious group, that that's probably the preferred way to say it instead of cult, because I had no one I could talk to. 
every person that I had formed a friendship with in the last 30 years were Jehovah's Witnesses. Wow. My parents were never Jehovah's Witnesses. They they were both had died. My brother, who was the only real religious one of my siblings, he died he at 46. He had a heart attack. So it was my sister. Wow. And she definitely wasn't ready for that because she'd be like, I told you so. So I wasn't ready for that yet because I wasn't <laughs> fully committed to yeah. leaving. I just wanted to talk about what I was learning. Um, I did talk to my husband a little bit, but it freaked him out. I had friends at work, but because I was the boss, it would put them in a weird position. So I couldn't do that. So I was really alone, not a soul that I could talk to. So I, I talked to one person who was like a mother to me, but she was a Jehovah's Witness. She spilled the beans and put the elders on alert. Oh, wow. It was, it was painful. But what I realized, if it was this hard for me, who had nobody else in my family, I didn't have parents, I didn't have aunts, uncles, cousins, like, you know, because some people, they're like third, fourth generation Jehovah's Witness. So their whole family is in it. And so to leave, you are basically leaving your family. Yeah, you're losing contact with them ever again. Yeah. Yeah. And so I saw how hard it was for me. I couldn't imagine how hard it would be for for other people. So that that's why I try to make a place that I call a soft place to land. So people can explore because it, it's not that we don't believe in God or don't believe in Jesus. We just don't believe in that organization right. as being the sole channel to God. And I told my husband, I'd be willing to go to the kingdom hall and listen to what the, the sermon is. And, you know, cause they have good information. They really do. It's but, not all bad, but I'm certainly not going to sit in a building where all 50 people think I'm evil. So how do you think about Jehovah's Witnesses today? Would you say they're all damned and they're all going to be facing the wrath of God or that they're all pretty much saved and they're, they're going to enjoy eternal life or somewhere yeah. in between? Or how do, you, how do you think about today's JWs that haven't yet experienced your enlightenment? Yeah, it, that is a question that I have meditated on, prayed on, think about pretty much on a daily basis. My conclusion is that God loves all people. He wants us all to return to relationship with him. The rank and file Jehovah's Witnesses are honest hearted people. They really think they are worshiping God the way he wants to be worshiped. So I think that's what God will take into consideration. I view them as Christians. I certainly believe that for the 30 years I was a Jehovah's Witness, I considered myself a Christian. When I got baptized, I was devoting myself to God through his son and dedicated myself to following his way of life as mm-hmm. you know i saw it in the bible the best that i could and to share it with others so i think that ticks a lot of boxes when you read the scriptures of what a follower of christ is and it, it's an issue that keeps bumping i keep bumping into it in, in the xjw world i started to go all these xjw bible studies and then i i started to pull away from that and started to just fellowship with fellow unitarians formed our own little Bible study groups with with people that were in it a long time, former JWs. And, you know, I I would hear some in the, in the Unitarian communities question, you know, like are Trinitarians Christian, you know, are Jehovah's Witnesses Christian. And I'm thinking, you know, why, why do we even have to decide that? Cause it's really not up to us. It's, it's thankfully, yeah, we're not doing the judging from what I see in the scriptures. And I don't see having doctrinal correctness, as 
being one of the criteria of, of being saved. You know, uh, the biggest thing I see is showing love. And that's why I, I say, you know, this disfellowshipping policy of, of some of the organizations, I don't think is loving. I don't think it fits the what, what the scriptures are saying. Um, therefore, I'd say the leadership is suspect mm-hmm. and you're relying on their teachings. You really need to make sure of all things. And, and we should do that with anybody. Even when I listen to your podcast, like, mm-hmm. you know, I check everything. I don't, you know, just yeah. automatically yeah. believe everything, but that's what we should do. Judging people as Christian or not, I just feel that that's a, why Why even do it? Why go there? <laughs> yeah, Thank, that's a good answer. I would push back a little bit, because I, I do think some doctrines really do matter for salvation. <laughs> like, for example, believing that Jesus died for your sins, believing in, believing in yes. God. <laughs> you know, these things yeah. are uh, salvational. But I think uh, as far as some of the secondary or speculative, like the uh, eating uh, the blood or, or getting blood transfusions, that's speculation. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. one possible interpretation. So for me, that's like third or fourth, three or four layers out from the core of Christian, you know, beliefs that are required yeah. for salvation. I do want to clarify one thing. Yeah, go ahead. I definitely believe truth matters. And this is what comes up in this conversation. Just because I would consider a Trinitarian a brother or sister or a Jehovah's Witness a brother or sister, even though they would reject me, you know, Trinitarians think I'm going to, you know, probably burn in hell. Jehovah's Witnesses think I'm going to die in Armageddon. I view them as fellow believers in Christ. I do believe truth matters. And that's why share what I believe, my newfound beliefs, even though they're not popular. I'm one that does not, does no longer believe that Christ preexisted. And that's a big, even in the XJW community, many of them do not believe in the Trinity, but they don't believe that Jesus didn't pre-exist. And I've been called, uh, how did he put it? If you fellowshiped with someone like me, you were fellowshipping with the Antichrist. Wow. And I'm like, I'm Antichrist. I'm against Christ. You know, like, the, so, so I bump into this all the time. And so, you know, I'm just like, I didn't like it when I was told I had to disfellowship people and, and do that. I don't like it when it's done to me. I'm like, you know, judge me based on how I line up with the, you know, the scriptures, if you have to judge me at all. But, you know, when we start doing this name calling stuff, I just feel that that is Satan winning at mm-hmm. this Divisive the good old strategy, divide and conquer, mm-hmm. divide and conquer. And we're falling right into it when we do that. What we should be doing is looking at where we agree. And like you said, that core and and go out from there. We can have disagreements. Was the earth created in a little literal six days or not? Things like, is it going to really matter ultimately? Like, what did Jesus say mattered? Mm-hmm. Love was the biggest thing. Yeah. Having faith and being obedient. Well, I think if you have truth and you do not have love, then you are not going to do well on the day of judgment. Yep. Uh, if you think about it, that's pretty much the position of Satan. Like he knows, he knows what's right. Yes. <laughs> he knows what's going on. He yeah. was there, uh, but he doesn't have love. Or obedience. Or obedience. Yeah. So yeah. let's transition now to talk about the topic that I'm really interested in. And I think it has huge implications for so many today, so many different Unitarian communities. And that is this whole issue of the one true church ideology. Mm. I tell you, I have seen it over and over and over again. 
within mainstream Christianity, within our own uh, different groups that are around. And honestly, it's so common that it surprises me. I would think that uh, actually one time I was, I I actually uh, evangelized Jehovah's Witnesses before, which is hysterical. Like um, I went to, uh, I was going door to door, uh, just like a part of like Bible college. I was just so like zealous for my faith. And uh, there happened to be a kingdom hall there. So I, I rang the doorbell or oh knocked on word. the door. Yeah, so I, I figured I'd like JW to the JWs because, you know, just the <laughs> irony of it. And uh, yeah, so like there, there were a couple of uh, people that came out and they were talking to me and I had a, a tract and I wanted to give it to them. And then they, they had one, they wanted to give it to me. And, uh, you know, I, I took theirs and I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, you know, I'd like to give you this. And they said, no. I said, well, what do you mean? No, like I... I received yours. How can you not receive mine? They said, oh, we, we don't do that. We don't receive tracks from outside sources. And I said, well, and I handed it back to them. I said, then I'm not taking yours. Yeah. And, 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 and they were just like a gas, like, how could you not take ours? And I'm like, well, look, I will take yours if you take mine. And they said, no. And uh, so there's this idea that they really are the one true church. And I, and I asked them this question. I said, if I believe all the same things as you, hypothetically. But I don't go to the Kingdom Hall. I'm not part of the Watchtower. Do you think I am saved? And the answer they gave me was, if you were saved, you would be part of the Watchtower. If you agree with us, you you know, like, because like one of their beliefs at the very core is that God has chosen their organization as the, the one true... Uh, way that he's working in the world. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's funny, my own parents were part of the Way International yes. uh, back in the 80s and uh, 70s and 80s, and they were the one true church. And, uh, you know, my good friend, uh, Brandon Duke, you know, he was part of uh, his his dad and so on. They, they were part of the Worldwide Church of God. And, you know, wouldn't you believe it? They were the one true church. And my own father, yeah. before he was part of the way, he was a Catholic. And you know what? They're the one true church. The other day I was looking up Orthodox uh, Christianity, Greek Orthodox, and you know what they said? They said they're the one true church. So like, And the Mormons and the Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on with this and why is this yeah. problematic? I mean, how? What, what are your thoughts on the subject? Well, again, it's the divide and conquer. We're all divided. Even when you get into the, you know, you realize you're a biblical Unitarian, you know, when you finally can define, okay, this is what I believe. And this is kind of what category it fits in. And you start to get into that community and you see all these things. Well, they're not kind of like in this little group here because they do this. And, and it's like, oh, come on, you know, coming out of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the one thing that was really cool was that you could go to any town and there's a kingdom hall. We went to Holland to visit his family, go to the kingdom hall, you plug right in, you got the watchtower, even though theirs is in Dutch, there was a beauty in that. But again, if it's centered around big, you know, lies, then that's not a good thing. So now I just see who's the head of the church, Christ. Christ, he's, he is the head of the church. And then you have your little ecclesias or you have bigger ones. Maybe you have a whole huge 
mega church or whatever, as long as they're recognizing Christ as the head of the church, not the man at the pulpit, not a governing body, that is the individual people that are attending that, as long as they get their authority from Christ and not a man in the middle, I think you're okay. But when you have these ones like the Jehovah's Witnesses and, and, and ones that are very authoritative and they try and tell you what to believe and how to live and how to treat each other versus suggesting and sharing scriptures as to why they feel it's a good suggestion, then you really need to be careful. And I don't know that it's such a wise thing to get most of your teaching from that group. So I, I kind of believe we all are on our own journey. The, the, the goal is God and the path to get there is Jesus. Yeah. And who we surround ourselves and, and get our teachings from, we need to be we need to be careful. Just like if you were studying to be a, a surgeon, a world class surgeon, you're not going to study under one who's got a really bad track record and has a lot of deaths. You're going to go to the one right. who's got a really good reputation, you know. And so that we have to be selective about the teachers and about the things we listen to. But I don't think we should be so close minded that we stay in an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. And we only hear what we want to hear. Yeah. I, I tell you, I benefit so much from reading uh, Christians and sometimes non-Christians, mm-hmm. uh, but Christians who are from different backgrounds and yeah. who have different assumptions when they approach Scripture. I, I benefit greatly from them. I'm uh, scheduled to teach this Sunday on original sin at my church. And so I'm going to work through the narrative of Adam and Eve and the fall and talk about that. And so I, I've been consulting a number of commentaries from uh, mostly evangelical sources, um, mm-hmm. one from a more liberal source. And then I, I just got this commentary from uh, a conservative Jewish source, the Jewish Publication Society commentary. Mm-hmm. And I was yes. reading what they were saying about Genesis 3, and I was just like, wow, this is so good. This is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they don't even believe in Jesus. But like this idea that only resources for my own group have any yeah. value. I, th- I think it's just false. Yeah. There is truth outside the church. There's truth within different groups within the church. And no one group has it all right. And we yeah. really do benefit in exposing ourselves to others. Yeah. And sometimes atheists are actually really helpful, too. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, although I don't, yeah. I don't want to plug atheism as a right. belief. I think it's an awful belief. But uh, sometimes their different perspective is really helpful, and they can correct some of the shenanigans that, or stuff that we believe that maybe it doesn't even hold up to scrutiny. I end every one of my <laughs> episodes with my slogan, the truth has nothing to fear. I really believe yes. that. I, you know, and if you have the one true church ideology, like the Watchtower or a number of other groups, you really have to police your people. You have yes. to say to them, do not receive tracks from other groups. Yeah. Do not go... Don't go on the internet. Right. Don't go on the internet. That is that is like the number one thing. And uh, don't buy books by other ministries. Don't right. avail yourself of commentaries by other Even ministries. Even though in their libraries, they have all the commentaries. <laughs> you know, but uh, something you just said about the, the truth there, that is exactly what I did the night that I decided I was going to go do an inter- internet search mm. to start to see what others were saying. And I had my laptop, I'm in bed. I'm like, I really 
fought doing it. Like I thought I was doing something so wrong, so bad. And, and I just said to myself, the truth can withstand scrutiny. If yes. it's the truth, it's the truth. And I also said something else. You're a grown blank woman. <laughs> so you're going to do it. And so, you know, yeah. And, but with, within moments and now here's someone, I was running a business. I was doing stuff on the internet and I never researched my own religion. Yeah. I would research buying a car of course, more than I had, re- but, but when I came in to be fair to myself, you know, I didn't even have internet back then. And, mm-hmm. and this is what's happening now. The internet is just waking people up. Yeah. So yes, the truth can withstand scrutiny and we're good at interpreting. So if you're reading a Trinitarian writer and you know, they're a Trinitarian, well, when you come across a few scriptures and they lay that in there, you don't close the whole book and say it's garbage. You just go, you just translate it. Okay. He's saying this, but I, I know it's like this and you move on and you get to the points that have nothing to do with the Trinity and nothing to do with the main point of the book, but you come away with really great information. So Uh, a friend of mine uh, used to say, chew the grapes and spit out the seeds. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic when I see people silo their exposure to yeah. Christian literature to only their own group, because I tell you, there are so many great insights to be gained from other different Christian groups. Yeah. And look, I think of it as defensive. You know, I think if, if my beliefs are weak, I need to protect them. But if they're strong... If they're really true, and true not just to me, but true in, an, right. in the sense that if uh, I could have a conversation with God and ask, is this how you see it? He would say, yes, that's how I see it. You know, because ultimately all truth is God's truth. Then what do I have to fear? I could sit in a room full of atheists and they could go mm-hmm. on and on about the problem of evil and suffering and pain and say, there's no way there's a God, and, and, I, and, I, and I can withstand that. I'm, I'm not saying that that's necessarily healthy for an immature Christian right. or somebody who hasn't developed their ability to— Maturity. Yeah, the maturity and their own confidence and their ability of discernment. Uh, but I, I am saying that it is certainly possible. Now, we do have two extremes here. We have, on the one hand, pluralism— and the other hand, exclusivism. And on the exclusivist side, we have the one true church ideology and the high control group. And on the pluralist side, we have the idea that says, ah, oh, well, truth doesn't matter. Let's just, you know, case sarah, sarah, you know, that's your truth. I got my truth. None of it's really important anyhow. And uh, right. so these are the two extremes that I think are vying for our attention. And so how do you find yourself charting a course through the middle of that? I, that's where I land the middle, you know, it's like a pendulum that swings back and forth. I, I think the answer lies in, in the middle and we just need to go to what Jesus said was important. Jesus didn't say he was a Trinity. He didn't really spend a whole lot of time on, I don't even think in Jesus own words, he describes how he came to be on earth. He didn't, he just started with preaching about the kingdom of God. That was what was central and important to him. Amen. And his last words before he ascended was, keep preaching about this kingdom of God and love one another. That was his key message before he left them. And that the the Holy Spirit would be the helper. Basically said, accept me, believe in me, follow me, my commands, which were the Father's commands, because it was God working through him and through him. So if people are doing that, but they have a wrong conception or wrong Christology, then I, I don't see that as being 
the game breaker. Like here's the illustration I use. I'm a mom. I've got four kids, four teenagers. Now when they were growing up, I expected them to be obedient, follow the rules. I love them. I wanted them to love me. Now, when they were growing up, they didn't know my background or where I came from, or I was from upstate New York or anything like that, but they just knew that they needed to be obedient. And if they, they were, things would go well for them. If they didn't, there would be consequences. Now, as they grew up and they matured, they came to know that I was from upstate New York. I had, you know, a brother and a sister. Which is basically the promised land. Just going to throw that out there. Oh, where uh, the greatest people in the world live. I don't know, Sean. I have to say, I'm really <laughs> loving Florida. You don't. You don't agree with my one true, my one true belief about upstate New York. No, I'm just kidding. It's Go beautiful ahead. territory. I love to visit it. But you know, so they didn't have to know my exact heritage and background. They just know that I was an authority figure. I was given authority by God to raise them. Mm-hmm. That's to me what Jesus was saying to us, like. Believe that I'm from the Father. I have authority from the Father. This is what I'm telling you is important. I'm instituting a new covenant. He's putting me in charge. That was the focus of his message, not knowing whether he preexisted or not or all that. I think Again, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. And I, it has greatly enhanced my love for him mm-hmm. and my understanding of God's purpose. I feel it's enriched me greatly. But can you still love Christ? Can you still be a follower of him if you understand him a little differently than I do? I, I think the answer is yes. Yeah. But I share what I believe because I believe it's so important and enriching. But you know, if someone accepts Christ, I'm very excited. Yeah. You know, if they come to believe it the way I do, then I'm even more excited. So I, I view people that believe as as I do, like my immediate family. Mm-hmm. But people who don't, but still love God and Jesus, they're like my distant cousins. Yeah. But we're all in the same family. We're all part of the universal church, which Christ is the head of. And so therefore, I, I don't feel it's productive to decide who's a Christian or not. It's not up to us to decide. Right. I look at, are they disciples? Are they showing love? Are they doing the, Those are the things that I think are more important and that we're going to be judged on more with more weight than did we get where he came from correctly yeah and i think asking the question where can i grow and learn is better than asking is this person really saved who's in this other group that i don't even know Mm -hmm. and we don't decide who's saved but we do have clarity on the gospel Mm -hmm. message that's the core and that really matters and if we have an opportunity we want to share that with people and that's yeah. essential. But then you have other non-essential, important beliefs. And that's the category I think that many of us are not familiar with. We want to say, no, like, all my beliefs are essential, which means you have to have them in order to be saved. Then there's like maybe a few things that are not essential, but they're, they're irrelevant to life. And what I hear you saying is, no, no, what's actually essential is very minimalist. It's like a, a, yes. the, the pit of the fruit and then there's all this fleshy part, and it's really important. Uh, yeah. And then uh, there's there's other stuff like the skin or whatever that's speculative, and it's not really that important, but it's interesting to talk about. Right. Like exa- exactly how does God experience time? I think that's a fascinating subject. Yes. 
global flood or local flood. Yeah, you know, yeah, like- <laughs> yeah, or the age of the earth or the flood. Yeah, yeah these kinds of peripheral topics. That- Where do dinosaurs fit in? <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate your explanation of that. Let's come back, circle back to the high control group conversation. Let's say somebody's watching this or listening to this who is in a high control group, but they don't know it. How, mm. like, what would they look for? What would be the signs? There are actual checklists on knowing if you're in a high control religious group. Really? But for me, like I was in it and didn't know it. So I, I think what I tell people to do is plant seeds. And if you do encounter a Jehovah's Witness, because now they're writing letters or making phone calls, they're opening, I heard the Kingdom Halls April 1st. So maybe that means they're going to start the door-to-door ministry again. But if a Jehovah's Witness asks if you want to study the Bible, say yes. If you really want to volunteer your time and save them from a high control religious group, then have a Bible study with them and start asking questions. Don't be in teacher mode. Let them think they're teaching and you ask questions. Say, yeah, but you know, I remember reading this scripture and that scripture, and I always thought it meant this. That has woken many a Christian or Jehovah's Witness up because they kind of went back and re-examined things from the Bible perspective. Was that your question? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, uh, you, you were saying how to reach people in a high control group. I'm curious, like, what would the signs be? You mentioned that there are some lists of it. Would it be that you ask questions and you're basically told this is the only way to look at it? Or what would you say to somebody? So how can you assess that someone's in a high control? I guess find out if they have the ability to question. Yeah. You know, are you allowed to question your beliefs Mm -hmm. in in the organization you're currently affiliated with? Are you allowed to question any of your beliefs? That's the number one sign. If you can't question or have doubts and have a conversation around those doubts and that's pretty sus as the kids would say <laughs> that's so sus <laughs> mega sus <laughs> yeah you're, you're you're so hip or whatever the cool word for that is today Let, let's see here if i ask it you know i'm a pastor of a local church uh i'm not a solo pastor there are actually three of us pastoring but um you know if somebody says to me oh you know i'm really questioning uh, the resurrection. I don't think it really happened. I, I've been reading Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan and some of these like really radical uh, liberal Christian thinkers who are saying the resurrection is just realizing that Christ is really wonderful and that you know he's really actually in a tomb. But the resurrection is a metaphor. It's just a realization of how great Jesus is. You know, somebody came to me and they and they're, they have that doubt about the historicity of the resurrection. What I'm going to do is set up a time and, and we'll get together and we'll we'll talk about it. And, you know, that might be a few sessions. It depends. But eventually, I will have presented evidence for why we as a community here, Living Hope Community Church, believes in the historicity of the resurrection. And this person may find that, in the end, unconvincing. That's possible. Mm-hmm. And if this person then persisted in that belief and started evangelizing others in the church, saying, look, I, I want you to stop believing in this primitive, literal interpretation and instead believe in this flowery, metaphorical interpretation, we're going to have problems. You know, there, there, yeah. there are community restrictions, especially as it touches like really core beliefs. And we may have to kick that person out. That's possible. 
we might have to kick that person out and say, look, you can't come anymore because you keep trying to deconvert other Christians. You're, you're anti-evangelizing. But I, don't, I wouldn't consider that a high control group. I would consider that like appropriate, you know, maintenance of yes. Christian boundaries. But then it sounds like with, with you, a lot of your beliefs were determined by not necessarily by scripture, but by interpretations of a particular scripture, like that you, you mentioned, like the women have to wear a skirt below the knee. I didn't see that verse in the Bible. Right. It's not. That's a church culture thing. And yes. some churches, you know, if you believe that is the proper way to be dressed, okay. But you also have to recognize that that's not in the Bible. So you don't right. have you don't have the authority of God behind that. But it's like they claim that authority. They would teach that it's your way to demonstrate obedience. And if you can't be obedient to God's organization on earth that has a hierarchy, then when you're called upon to be obedient when it really matters, yeah. you're, you know, like that's the reasoning that they kind of use, you know. And would you say that that's indicative of a high control group, that kind of reasoning? It's a warning sign. There's many different groups that I've been in. And if there's there's a group leader, they have a statement of beliefs. And now you come to this group and you don't agree with something and you want to tell them, you know, well, Jesus didn't pre-exist. And that's just not going to fly in that group. You can't be surprised Right. If you get pushback and they, you know, now in the kingdom halls, they would take you in the back room. Now in Zoom, they take you in a breakout room, you know, but um, <laughs> that's understandable. You know, I, I have my own group that we just started uh, this calendar year in, in January. We call it Christian Monetarian Fellowship. Um, we do it on Saturday night. So it's pet name is Saturday Night Live. And <laughs> we have a statement of beliefs and everyone's welcome. And if people don't hold all those beliefs. That's okay. But like you said, don't start pushing your belief that doesn't agree with it because there's so much that we do agree on that we can come come together and fellowship over and encourage one another and have song and pray for each other. So it's important. But yeah, if someone came in my group and started to say, uh, the Trinity is the real truth and da, da, da. No, they're not going to be welcome. And, right. you know, I'll tell them nicely. I'll try and redirect them. We'll try and work with them. Yeah. We're not going to um, disfellowship them in the sense, you know, give them the boot right then and there. But, you know, we'll have a side conversation. If they don't honor that, then we, we might have to. Right. But and you would allow a Trinitarian to come if they're not trying to convert people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you would allow your group members to consult external sources not written by Lori Jane. Of course, because <laughs> there's nothing written by me. <laughs> I'm uh, a good collator of information. I, I have um, the Logos Bible software. And, okay. yeah. you know, if we're doing a subject, I'll pull up and I've got like whiz bang tons of commentaries and I can pull them all together. And, you know, we'll, we'll read them. I said, look, most of these are from Trinitarians. You have to put your filter on, but it's interesting to see when they come across something like that and they'll just state it for fact. I said, notice on that one, they don't have a scriptural reference, but everything else that we're, whatever the topic of the day is, they've got scriptures to back up that, you know, it, that just helps yeah. to me solidify that the way I understand Christ and the Trinity is accurate, yeah. you know? So that, well, that, that's very anti-controlling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a, a controlling person would say, no, don't expose yourself to people that are mm -mm. wrong. 
No. You're saying no. Expose yourself and learn. Mm-hmm. Develop the mental ability to spot truth and error, so that you're you're helping them. I, I believe it's more like a muscle than it is a train. belief. Yeah, that it's it's a is developed through use. Your your power of discernment. And a big key is Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, like I really trust that God's Holy Spirit is going to direct people. Mm. It's not my job. My job is to share plant seeds and, you know, God will do the rest. And, and, but you have to be a welcoming place for a seed to want to come and take root. If you're like, uh, uh-uh, you don't believe as we do, you're not welcome here. Right. To me, that's the problem. That is why the, the Unitarian community is not growing as much as it could be. Well, what advice would you give to the wider Unitarian community on, on this kind of subject? Like, in other words, if you could snap your fingers and change something, what would you change? To really focus on that aspect of love um, and acceptance. And, you know, if someone doesn't see a point that's important to you, let that go. Focus on the fact that we at least agree <laughs> that, that God and Jesus are not part of a trinity. That, you know, so focus on that. And then the other things, just just let it go. Because we, we, we become so exclusive that we're going to be a church of one, you know, and we're supposed to be this universal church body of Christ. Yeah. And I think if we recognize that we don't have an ability to make sure to the nth degree that we absolutely have something correct and coming from the world I came from where I thought I was correct for 30 years, I, I don't think I'll ever feel comfortable saying, yep, I got it right. Come learn from me. I'm more of a, hey, this is what I found out. I want to share it with you because it was really life-changing for me. And being a sharer versus, you know, a teacher, I mean, you're in a different role because you're a pastor. But for me, I try and gather people together so we can share. But there's certain things I have come to some conclusions after deep research. Um, and I, I just feel if I share that with people, God's spirit will move them. And I've, I've had that happen where like at least three people when I first came out and I first believed this and I would share it and they're like, I don't know that I see it that way. So that's okay. You know, I said, I still view you as my sister. And then a year later they come back, they, they text me and say, guess what? I said, what? I'm a Unitarian. I'm like, great. How'd that happen? You know? And they said, well, you know, I went and I did this and I dabbled in that and did it. And then I listened to a podcast. Your name's come up a couple of times, Dale Tuggy, uh, Bill Schlegel's a big one lately that they'll, they'll catch it you know, YouTube of, and they're like, and then I remembered what you said. And then, and then I went and, and so, you know, it eventually comes together, but you got to let people go on that path, let God's spirit do what it does. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And it's, you know, instead of, uh, you can't go to this other group because you might get exposed to, you know, water baptism isn't needed or, oh, they speak in tongues over here or, yeah, but you're a grown person. You can read the scriptures and come to your own conclusions (laughs) and you might agree with that or you might not, you know, like they might be, they might say that they do think it's a salvation issue or not, you know, let people listen to what you have to say. But if you are too much that way, like, sure, give a warning. If you think it's, it's something that they should seriously look at, well, give a warning, but don't make it like, they're not Christian yeah. or not body in Christ. So, so. Uh, using the example of Dale Tuggy and Bill Schlegel, I disagree with both of them on a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. But I consider them to be brothers in Christ. 
and I'm cheering them on. Yes. Because the important stuff we do agree on. Mm-hmm. And I think of it as being part of a movement. Not yes. part of an organization, but a collection of organizations that are right. moving in the same direction. And that gives, I think, a lot of us much more freedom to be supportive of other Unitarian or One God believers out there, even if they do have something that, from your perspective, is wrong. And yep. uh, so, like, for example, uh, one of the more emotional subjects that sometimes comes up is once saved, always saved. And uh, there are some Christians in Unitarianism that believe you cannot lose your salvation no matter what you do. Even if you murdered a room full of people, you'd still be saved. Extreme example. But, you know, that's that's as far as, as it goes. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that perseverance is part of what God requires, that we, we have to maintain our faith by God's grace with the help of the Spirit over time. And that if we did turn our back on God and say, I don't want you anymore, I, you know, I renounce my faith, or, or with your actions, you just entirely turn away from Christ. I don't think the moment you do that, you lose your salvation. But if, if, you, if that's what you do and that's your, your choice, then I, I don't believe God's going to force you to be uh, what you don't want to be. So that's something I'm actually pretty passionate about because I believed mm-hmm. once saved, always saved as a, a, a teenager in particular was really, really toxic uh, because I, since I believed that no matter what I did, I was going to be saved anyhow, I just lived like a hedonist savage and went with the flow of the world and got myself in all kinds of destructive behaviors and painful situations that mm-hmm. hurt other people and myself. And so I'm, I'm fairly passionate about this, but I could still... I can still partner with ministries that hold to that belief, but I can't say to somebody in my own uh, church, oh, well, they're just the same as we are. No, I think that that is a difference and it is important, but at the same time, I'm not afraid of our people hanging out with each other, but I do want our people to be aware, hey, this is a difference and this is is what we believe and these are the reasons why and these are the... Mm -hmm. I don't know, 30 verses that support this belief over against their, you know, six, you know, basically equipping people to be able to interact and go into other groups, you know, at an event where we get together and developing that critical thinking. That's much more where I sit with the whole thing than, okay, don't ever associate, don't ever go to one of their events, don't ever, don't, don't marry any of their people, don't be friends with them. Right. You know, I, I think it's just a different mindset. And maybe people would call us naive, our approach here, you and me. I've been called that. I think what you said is like, you know, faithful. You, you like you ha- It's a faith position that mm-hmm. you believe that there really is a God and there, God really does care and he's involved in our world via the Spirit yeah. so that he is leading people to the truth. Well, I was sharing in one of my Bible study groups a chapter out of Jeff Dibel's book about how he, I think he was a pastor, wasn't he? Or is that his brother? He still is or a pastor. The, but but I mean, he left that church that he was in, yeah, right? Yeah, he got squeezed out. And then now he's pastoring in a different church. So to me, that that goes to here he, truth was important to him. He had a whole congregation mm-hmm. that he had to give up because he came to these other conclusions from his honest, deep Bible study. And he's sharing that in this book. And in the end, he says, but 
I still believe they're my brothers and sisters. I'm like, yes, that's how I see it. You know? Yeah. So I innocently read that in a, in a Bible study of, of mine, because we would do, you know, sharings and half the people saw it as I did. And as Jeff was putting in his book and the other half didn't, things changed. So things shifted in, in the group a little bit. And there were some people attending that didn't agree with everything that the main teacher was saying. And he's like, I guess I'm not welcome here if you don't think I'm a brother. <laughs> and he left and it just, you know, broke my heart. And I'm like, this is why we shouldn't. Now, I, we're, I'm not saying compromise what we believe. I'm not saying say, well, it's okay to believe whatever. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that we need to allow room for the possibility that we don't have it all right, you know, um, or the possibility that they're going to be judged based on something else, like their behavior, not their doctrinal understanding. I mean, doctrine means teaching, you know, we're, doctrine matters, you know, but if it's man-made doctrine, that's the, the thing that we have to really be careful of and just go back to what did, what did Jesus teach? You know, what were, what were his doctrines? And the main one was love. You know, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the father with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love, love. And it's not loving to intimate that someone might not be acceptable or worthy of your time or fellowship, or that's my fear. And it hurts me because I was one of those people when I was a Jehovah's Witness that they would consider that. It hurts me now that I had someone who I really respected in the XJW community say I was antichrist. I'm like, and, and I, and I know I'm not that. And, you know, we went back and forth on the YouTube channel and then I'm like, how could you say that? Well, if the shoe fits, I'm like, ah, you, know, <laughs> just got, you know, and so I know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of that. And what did it do? It totally took the focus away from worshiping God, worshiping him the way he wants to be spreading the good news it became this little cat fight yeah. and it's that's what satan wants yep got it. you know Divide so that's that's why i wanted to share this with you today and with others is that i just want people to stop yeah. wagging their finger that's what i say wagging their finger or clicking their tongue and just saying they're not a you know christian or whatever let jesus judge that's not what he told us to do. And we're supposed to be loving and not just of the church. We're supposed to be loving of everybody. Sometimes people see these strong declarations like in 1 John, 2 John, uh, and some other places where one of the apostles makes a strong statement about, you know, if somebody doesn't, like in 1 John, if somebody doesn't believe Jesus came in the flesh, then, you know, don't, don't have anything to do with them. People read that and they think to themselves, oh, well, that's standard Christian practice for me to say, well, this group over here, they believe this differently, so therefore none of you should have any contact with them. And it's like, whoa, 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 you're not an apostle. Mm -hmm. You know, you did not see the Lord after he was raised from the dead. You have not done the signs of an apostle, and yet you're taking an apostolic authority? Yeah. You know, that, and, you that, know that, that doesn't follow. And if you are but an we, apostle, then I'm, I'm going to need some evidence. <laughs> yeah. And when we think of the, the wheat and the weeds, right? Yeah. We, that's what we all are. It's not this church is wheat and this church over here is a weed. As body of Christ, we're, we're like, there's Jehovah's Witnesses that are wheat and some of them are weeds. There's Mormons, there's Unitarians. And at the end, it'll be very evident yeah. who's the wheat. And 
Therefore, in the meantime, we shouldn't be trying to say your wheat, your weed, your wheat, your wheat. You know, we should just be working on ourselves to make sure we are wheat like we're worthy of being harvested. Right. I, I do kind of get the sense, though, that, you know, truth matters in the in the sense that when Jesus returns, he's going to be ruling a government, you know, a kingdom. And most governments need a cabinet. You know, you get selected based on your ability and your skills. And so the way we are now in this temporary situation um, is going to matter as to whether or not we're, I I believe. Yeah, it's a proving ground of sorts. How we're going to be used in the future. And for me, I want to be used. I want to be in God's toolbox. I want him to, if you want me to be a hammer, make me a hammer. You want me to be, you know, I'm willing. I want to be that. And I see that in, in other people. We'll just have to wait and see. But I, I do think truth matters. And if we reject truth when it's given to us, I think that's going to matter. Yeah, um, we'll be held accountable for that. Yeah. And so I'm not discounting that there are things seriously wrong with other groups. I think there's things seriously wrong with believing in the Trinity. But we need to share it gently. Well, yeah, they say we're going to burn in hell, but that doesn't mean we have to be that way back. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, and actually Christ says that's how he will know, how we will be known as his disciples is that we have love among ourselves. And that means everybody, not just our own little insular group, but everybody. Uh, How could people learn more about you and get plugged into your ministry? I see you've got this superstar (laughs) video here. On the uh, Lori Jane channel, Finding Lori Jane, uh, Mm -hmm. says, my story of waking up in Pioneer School, 33,000 views. Holy smokes. Imagine if you had all those people in one room. It would be a big room. But uh, how how do people find you, follow you, plug in, and uh, join up with some some of your Bible study stuff that you're doing? Yeah, um, simplychristian.faith is the website I started. It's really a discussion board. We've got a lot of Bible studies listed on the calendar. Many I've gone to, I don't anymore. Some are Trinitarian, some aren't. So, you know, I, I just put them up there because I, I mostly do it for people coming out of a high control religious group so that they can explore Christianity on their own. I put a lot of Unitarian uh, material in there. So they'll, they'll see it. But I don't want to say you must believe this way. So I didn't want it to be that way. I get criticized for that from some of my Unitarian friends. I said, my ministry isn't your ministry. My ministry is helping XJWs or other high control you know, group exiters to maintain their faith in God and Jesus um, and go from there. And I'll let the Holy Spirit do the rest. But so many come out and they're so angry and hurt, they become atheists or they they just throw everything away. They throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. So that's what this site's about. Um, but we have a whole sub forum of what I call Christian monetarian stuff. It's really, really good. When you go on our calendar, you can filter and just find monetarian meetings, Unitarian meetings. Um, if you want to you know, try some different ones. I personally just started one that I'm leading. I'm not teaching. I'm just facilitating. And we do, do like little 15, 20 minute presentations. We have song, we pray for each other. It's really nice, warm, you know, fellowship. So you can have that kind of virtual community. We have a buddy system. So people who are just coming out that were like me, when I first came out, I had not a soul I could talk to. We can connect you with other buddies, like kind of like AA where you have a sponsor. So they kind of help you. And my advice to people exiting from a high control group, build your support network first. Don't just say, oh, this is all lies. I'm out of here. 
be thoughtful about it. You know, talk to someone like me, reach out to me, Lori Jane USA at gmail.com, or you can find me on that website and map out a game plan. You know, sometimes it's making friends at work, joining a bowling league, you know, somehow to get friends outside of your high control religious group so that when everything happens and you're excommunicated, you've got people that you can go to for emotional support and, and of course, plug into communities, you know, like ours. So. Very good. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Laureen. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. And thanks for all your podcasts. I have enjoyed them many a day walking on the beach here in Florida. <laughs> Very good. Well, that brings this interview to a close. What did you think? Come on over to restitutio.org and find episode 437, High Control Groups and Judging Other Christians with Lori Jane, and leave your thoughts there. We'd love to hear your questions and feedback. Uh, I know this is certainly a sensitive subject for many of us, how we regard ourselves, how we regard outsiders, and it really fits into the overall banner of ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of who is the church? What is the church? Who's in? Who's out? What does it mean to be part of the church? And and this is certainly a topic that is worthy of your consideration and that is often underlooked in Christianity today, just assumed from the outset. If you'd like to learn more about Lori Jane, you can, as she mentioned, go to her website, simplychristian.faith, or check out her YouTube channel, which is called Finding Lori Jane. And I've got links to those in the show notes for this episode. Also, last week I posted a new blog entry called Are We Born with a Morally Corrupt Nature? Which is part two of our Sin series. It might take me a little while, to be honest, uh, to get to parts three and four. I am certainly ramping up right now as a pastor, getting ready for celebrating the resurrection on April 17th, which is coming up in a couple of weeks here. And I may or may not get part three done next week. It might it might take me a little bit, but uh, I am looking to do a part three and a part four on this sin series. But anyhow, part two is out. Take a look at it. I've got three possible answers to that question. Uh, once again, the question is, are we born with a morally corrupt nature? And so answer number one is no, we are born totally free. Answer number two is Yes, we are born with a morally corrupt nature, but we are also free. So we're partially free and partially depraved. And then answer number three, yes, we are born with a morally corrupt nature. We are totally depraved. So I offer some remarks on each of these different positions, the totally free position, the free and depraved position, and the totally depraved position, and try to anticipate what sorts of objections people would have to these different positions. Uh, I noticed that quite a few folks in the Rest Studio Facebook group marked that they believe in the totally free position, that we are born without any kind of consequences from Adam's sin. And uh, that could have been partially bad wording on my part in the survey. And, uh, you know, clarification of wording is something that comes with time and effort and research. And so if I were to do that survey again, I would word it a little differently to make it a little clearer what it is the different positions are. But be that as it may, if you're interested in this stuff, check out restitutio.org. You can find this material either right on the homepage, if you're checking this close to the time when I post it, or under articles and then short articles, you'll be able to find it there for sure. One of the things I wanted to be careful to do in this was to offer a lengthy critique 
of the totally free position. Now, I'm not a total depraved guy either, but I also don't think we are totally free. I think we do have some moral baggage, some propensity, if you will, towards sin. And I lay out a number of objections, the objection from personal experience, that's my own personal experience, objection two was from salvation apart from Christ, objection three is that there are a number of texts that seem to say that we are born into sin. And objection four is that there are many scriptures that say sin is universal. And objection five is the testimony of the early church. And a lot of times people who take a totally free position, a no corruption position, will argue that, oh, that everybody believed that we were totally free until Augustine came in the late 4th, early 5th century and rolled out his comprehensive doctrine of original sin. And uh, so I thought that this would be important. So I quote Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen, Cyprian, and Gregory of Nyssa, all who indicate that sin is inevitable and universal. And so I do believe that we are tainted, as it were, with the consequences of Adam's sin, Adam and Eve's sin, that we are, in a sense, morally disadvantaged from what we had originally be. And uh, so I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are about that. Or if you're on the other side of the fence, you're a total depravity person, you think we're total maggots, unable to do anything good whatsoever. I offer a number of objections to that position as well. And in the next post, I'm planning on delving into that a lot deeper to look at the doctrine of total inability and looking at what the scriptures say about that as well as logical issues related to that. So, hey, if you're interested in sin, I'm kind of in the middle of it right now. I'm kind of in the thick of it right now, and uh, I I invite you to join me on my journey here. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and thanks to all all of you supporting Restitutio. You can do that at our website, restitutio.org, if you would like to support us. We'll see you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.